you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn again to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. This morning we look, as uh, the sermon title uh, says there, when the fullness of time had come. Uh, that's the, the focal phrase, the focus phrase of this whole Advent series. Uh, what did it mean, the fullness of time? What was it about this time that was the right time, if you will, for Christ to come? Was there something special about it? Well, in some sense, I think the obvious answer is yes. Well, what was it about this time? And what does that phrase mean? And then what does it, why does it matter in our lives? Well, that's, that's the sermon outline there. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Well, what did he do? Well, he did two main things. He did a lot of things. But the two main things, is in terms of what our text says, he redeemed and he adopted. Those are the two uh, themes of the next two sermons. We'll look at redemption on the 18th, and we'll look at adoption on Christmas Eve. These two main uh, accomplishments of Christ on the cross and in his life. He redeemed people who were under the curse of the law, and he turned sons and slaves into sons and daughters. Uh, and, and we greatly benefit, of course, and we rejoice in these two realities. But this morning, before we get to those two things, I'll mention them again, but not in any detailed way. What did it mean that the fullness of time had come? And why is that important for us to understand that fullness of time as we look into the future to another fullness of time that is coming at some point? With that in mind, let me read for us Galatians 4. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. O Lord, we ask that you would teach us now from your word. We thank you that it is true. All of it is good for us and profitable. Lord, that we would receive it, we would believe in it. Lord, indeed, thank you that you came and did for us what we could not do, and you did it because you loved us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I imagine that most of you are familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you aren't, I would encourage you to pick up a biography. There's many that you can choose from to read on his life and ministry. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor who was arrested in April of 1943 for several reasons. The main reason was his involvement in an assassination attempt on the life of Adolf Hitler. He was put in jail, arrested, as I said, in April 1943, and in the fall, October of 1944, he was moved to what was known as the dreaded Gestapo prison in Berlin. And it was from that prison that he wrote probably his most famous letter. He wrote it to his fiancée, Maria. They had become engaged shortly before his arrest, and his letter included these words, "'A prison cell in in which one waits,' hopes and does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside, 
This Maria is not a bad picture of Advent. He's right. For Bonhoeffer to gain his freedom, there was nothing he could do to affect the opening of the door. The door had to be open from the outside. If you remember from last Sunday, we talked about before Christ or before our faith in Christ, we're in bondage. We're in a prison. We're under a tutor. And if you remember, that tutor is not a sweet first grade teacher. It's a, it's a harsh disciplinarian. You are imprisoned if you are trusting in the law, and you can't open that prison cell yourself. You've got to trust in someone from the outside to open it for you. Or as Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, so often says, the world assumes that it has an outward problem. That The problem with them and their life, the problem with the world is all those people and all their sin and all that they do. And the solution to all of this is found inside. I need more self-confidence. I need more self-worth. I, need, I, can, I just need to work a little bit harder and, and, and do a little bit more. And we can solve the world's problems because of that. And the gospel says it's actually the exact opposite, doesn't it? No, the problem is here. The problem is your sin. The problem is your pride. And that affects everything else. And what you need is not going to be found in here. What you need is something from the outside. And as Moeller says, you need an alien righteousness. You need a righteousness that is not your own. You need someone to come and open the door and to free you from that bondage and to do for you all the things that you simply cannot do for yourself. Moeller's right. And once again, we who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we wait again for that door to be opened, don't we? We can't open it ourselves. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. What does this mean? Well, Paul begins by giving us what we think is either a Roman or a Greek contextual point here. When a child is born and up to a certain age, they were regarded as slaves. They may be the inheritor of a huge amount of wealth and property and stuff, but until the fullness of time had come in their life, they were a slave. They were under guardians and tutors and Often that was very harsh, and at some point in the future, at a time determined by the Father, they would become the inheritor, and they would receive all this inheritance, they'd get the family business, and and away they went. Typically, that was sometime between the age of 20 and 25, but again, it was a time set by the Father. So this is what he's linking up in our understanding in terms of Christ's coming. It was a time set by the Father, unknown to the child. This was common practice. The law then belongs, as we talked last Sunday, to an age of preparation, we might say. The law was never meant to be the final word on things. It was never meant to be something that you look to to say, ah, I, I do measure up. I am good enough. No, it was meant to assure you that you most certainly are not good enough and that you do not measure up. And it was going to be replaced then when faith came or when Christ came or when the object of our faith came. Not that the law then became unimportant. No, we're still to be moral. We're still to express our joy in the Lord by our obedience. But Christ fulfilled all of its demands, and he took its curse. And now we live in the age of adoption as sons, and we enjoy more spiritual benefits. The purpose then was to redeem and to adopt Some commentators suggest that there was actually an an historical reality to this fullness of time, that there was something unique 
about this historical period. You know, the time of Christ was uh, the Roman Empire had conquered most of the known world. They were living under what they called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. So there's something unique there that Greek culture had had brought some cohesion to society. There was, a, a, for the most part, a common language, a common culture in the world at that time, and that made it the right time. I'm not really convinced by that, but some are suggesting that not just a redemptive historical right time, but even a historical context right time. Either way, this reality is true. It was the time that had been set forth by the Father. It was the time that He said, now is the time to go. And to do those two main things, to redeem and to adopt. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. This is where the words are important. Jesus didn't begin at His birth. Oh, He had always been. It's the Father said, Son, now's the time for you to go put on flesh and to dwell amongst people. Okay? He's sending that which is already there. The Son is co-eternal with the Father as we confess in our uh, catechisms. God sent him forth to do what it had been determined before the foundations of the world that he would do. His birth was not his beginning. It was simply the time he put on flesh. But in the second place, it says that he was born of woman or born of a woman, depending on your translation there, which sounds a little bit odd. Well, of course he was. We're all born of a woman. Why, Why mention this here? Well, this is why I think that the main point Paul's making is not a historical point, but a redemptive historical point. What have we been, in our study of Genesis, what have we been hoping for since Genesis 3? The seed of the woman to come. I think this is Paul's way of saying, with that little phrase there, the seed of the woman is here. The serpent crusher, we might say. You remember the the gospel promise in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Well, that seed, that particular offspring has now arrived, born of woman. He was made under the law that he might redeem those under the law. Jesus will say in Mark chapter 15 as he's hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that because he is cursed in that moment. All the sins of God's people have been piled on top of him. The father has turned from the son as he's pouring out his wrath on him. He's doing all the things that Paul says that he would. On the cross, Martin Luther says, Jesus was the greatest sinner that ever was. Not his sins, of course, our sins. Loaded upon him and he paid for them. In our second service, Sarah Shipp is going to sing, O Holy Night, for us. It's a great Christmas song, isn't it? Here's its opening line and a half, or a phrase and a half here. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What is this new and glorious morning, or morn, as the song says? Well, it's the birth of Christ, but it's it's even more than that. It's a it's the dawning of a new era. It's the way we even order our calendars now, isn't it? 
Everything changed in that moment. It's a, it's a focal point of our world history. I know today we don't call it B.C. and A.D. anymore. It's B.C.E. and C.E. Well, whatever. The focal point's still the same, isn't it? <laughs> call it what you want. We order everything around this momentous moment. The birth of the Savior, God sending forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us who were under the law and imprisoned, to open the door wide. It was the perfect time. It was the time set by God. Why was it not a thousand years before and why was it not a thousand years later? I have no idea. It was the time that, that God the Father had set. He had determined it this way. Everything before the birth of Christ was moving towards it and everything since looks back to it in hope. The serpent was to be crushed. The true child of promise had been born. The law of Moses was now to be fulfilled. The kingdom was to now begin, and the end of time was to begin. The second Adam was to come and to do perfectly in all the ways the first Adam had failed. He came to be the first fruits. He came to deliver us from a spiritual exile. He came to be the glorious king. He came to make a way for us to enjoy our everlasting home. He came to be the true presence of God dwelling in our midst. The fullness of time when sin is dealt with and all the promises find their fulfillment in Christ. Or as Paul says elsewhere, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Well, that's what it means, the fullness of time. Well, why does it matter? Why does it continue to matter for us today? Well, the reason Christ came to this earth was not simply to set a good example for us, though he did was not simply to show us love and how to love others, though he did do that. Not simply to establish this kingdom, though he did that. He was sent to redeem and to adopt. Two wonderful theological points. Redemption, he purchased us with his blood. Adoption, we are children of God. He tenderly now cares for us. And we know that he did this. Why? For God the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was all as a result of his love. This is the gospel. Well, Westminster, the time has come for us. Christmas is here. It's time for us to worship this King who has died and risen, who's ascended into heaven and now reigns on high. Yes, it's also time for parties. It's time for food and presents and traveling and a whole lot more. But that, of course, is secondary. Unfortunately, it typically becomes primary at this time of year, doesn't it? Those things are fun. I hope you enjoy all of them at Christmas. But don't forget to focus on the real reason that we celebrate at Christmas. It's Christ. It's Him born to do what? To redeem and to adopt. That's what he came to do. Because another day in the future, the father is going to look at the son and he's going to say, son, it's time. The fullness of time has come again. It's time for you to go back. And this time, it's the end. It's time for you to go and to gather all those that I redeemed and adopted, and we are going to live with them forever. That inheritance that you earned, you're going to share it with them. Because you did it, because you love them, and you want to share in this joy of salvation. And so all these things that trouble us, 
that make us think that the world is falling apart, all the joys and sorrows of your life, and everything in between is just another piece of God moving things directly towards the end of all time. Just as he worked everything for his first coming, he's now working everything for his second coming. There's not one thing that's out of place. Why has he not come yet? Why not yet? Well, I don't know, but Peter directly answers that question in 2 Peter chapter 3. When he's asked, why has Christ not come yet? Because he's patient. Because God is long-suffering. As it says in Exodus chapter 34, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The reason he has not come yet is to give the opportunity for every single one of us to repent and believe in him. God's patience is always for the benefit of people. Your patience in your life that you're called to have is always for the benefit of others. It's a grace and it's a goodness to them. The reason he has not yet returned is because it's not time. And he's given the opportunity even today for you to repent and to know of that salvation and redemption and adoption. It's no mistake that you came today. God knew it long ago that you would be here. He knew that you would need this word from the Lord and this passage on this day, perhaps for salvation or for others of us for renewal, for reminder, for a replenishment of your soul that perhaps has been lost. On April the 9th of 1945, Bonhoeffer had been moved to Flossenburg concentration camp, and it would be on that morning that he would be hung, along with two of his co-conspirators in this assassination attempt on Hitler's life. Before that, he sent one final message, final message that we have of his, to a dear friend of his, George Bell, who was in England, and it read this, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer was right. Was the end of his earthly sojourn, but the beginning of life everlasting. That's what he came to provide for us. Christ. That's why we worship him. He took away that which separated us from the Father, and he offers you life. He offers you abundance He doesn't want to just be a portion or part of your life. He wants to be your all in all. He wants to unite himself to you. That's what we talked about last Sunday. Have you believed in him? Be rejuvenated in that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your patience. We do eagerly await your return. We eagerly await the end of this life and the beginning of everlasting life. But Lord, we know that your patience is so that we would believe in you and that you would give all of us here this morning faith in the finished work of Christ. Lord, thank you for this Lord's Day. Would you be with us as we go from here? And we thank you for your Son. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction and then remain standing we'll sing the doxology together.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.